Our scripture reading today uh, comes from the book of Genesis. I'm going to read the entirety, really, of, of Genesis chapter uh, 16, and you can follow along uh, in your Bibles or on the screens or in your bulletin. This is God's Word. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarah said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to shore. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly here I have been seen by him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Beer Lahoi Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son who Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, again, we ask you to meet us uh, with your presence here this morning. Speak to us through uh, your word. Uh, We're thankful for the promises that come with your word when it is preached and spoken and meditated on, that it shapes our hearts. So we pray that your word would shape our hearts here this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, I have to confess, and if you know me, this will come as no surprise to you whatsoever, but I have to confess that at times I really struggle with patience, patience about all sorts of things. And it's not just sometime, it's, it's really all the time that I struggle with patience. And every once in a while, I think I've gotten better at it. Uh, the older that I've gotten, maybe I've matured out of it, but of course, I still struggle. Um, some evidence of that is I, I hate lines. I, can't, I, I hate standing in lines and waiting in lines. And uh, I really dislike uh, waiting rooms as well. Go into the doctor's office and having to wait for your number uh, to be called. So perhaps uh, nothing is worse, at least in my mind, than, than waiting rooms, particularly hospital waiting rooms or doctor's waiting rooms. 
Because when you think about it, you're usually there because something bad has happened, something that you have deemed to be an emergency, and it just seems like all they want to do is frustrate you in the midst of your sense of urgency. And so I can remember at times uh, when Beck and I either had to go to the doctors or the hospital, uh, or we've had to take our kids to the doctors or the hospital, that, that we've schemed a little bit on the way to the doctor's office and maybe said, well, if we exaggerate just a hair, but exaggerate a hair, the symptoms that our kids are going through or we are going through, they will deem us to be a little more of an emergency than it actually is, and we will get in the back quicker. Now, I, we did that because we hated feeling like being, we were subject to another person's timetable. So we would scheme as a result of it. We would try to manipulate and control the situation in order to speed up the desired outcome that we wanted. And if you're like me, you know that we tend to do things like this in little ways or in big ways all of the time. You see, we grow impatient. We don't want to have to wait. And so what we do is we stick our hands into things. And often when we do, uh, we create a bigger mess than when we started out if we had just been patient. We see this pattern play out repeatedly in the, wife, or in the life of Abraham as well and in the life of his wife, Sarah. If you've been with us uh, the past couple weeks, you know we've been looking at the story of Abraham, and it all started in Genesis chapter 12. When God comes to Abraham, seemingly out of nowhere, God comes to Abraham and he starts making promises, bold promises uh, to this man, Abraham, and his family. And the foremost promise, or the most probably important of all the promises, was that he promised Abraham that he would give him a child, that he would give him a son, an heir that would grow into a great nation. And as we've seen, this promise was extremely unlikely because when God first came to Abraham, many people believe he was right around 75 years old and his wife Sarah was right around 69 years old. So it was incredibly unlikely or, or all out of common sense for Abram and Sarah to believe that God could come through on his promises. But it also, if it was true, could come as a hopeful relief for Abraham and Sarah. A hopeful relief because it addressed their greatest burden. Their greatest burden, the greatest anxiety or sadness of their hearts would have been their lack of child or their lack of an heir. And so what God called Abram to do was to have faith in his promises. But as we read the Abraham story and the chapters that come after it, we quickly see that Abraham's faith was a battle, that it had lots of ups and downs. It had moments of just absolute rock-solid certainty, and then it had times of tremendous doubt and frustration. And as you read his story, you discover that there are lots of moments of understandable, at least from our perspective, understandable impatience. And our passage this morning is one of those occasions. You see, when it opens up, Abraham and Sarah have grown tired 
of waiting for God's promises. Years have passed since God made those promises, and yet he continues to delay those promises. And no doubt Abraham and Sarah were wondering, wrestling in their hearts, can God still be trusted? Can he be trusted to come through on the things that he promised us? And so in their impatience, what Abraham and Sarah do is they take matters into their own hands. And, and, and when they do that, they wind up creating a bigger mess than they started with. So what I'd quickly like to do is just look at the three characters in this story and how they contributed to this messy situation. But let's first look at Sarah or Sarah's strategy that really comes into fruition in verses 1 to 3. See, as we mentioned, time has passed, so we get the sense that Abraham and Sarah, when this chapter opens up, uh, are about 86 and 80 years old, respectively. They're, they're certainly not getting any younger. And finally, when this chapter opens, we start to hear from Sarah. By and large, the story has only followed Abraham and his journey of faith, and, and Sarah has been relatively silent in the story up until this point. Until you get to verse 2, when Sarah said to Abraham, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah. You see, Sarah comes to Abraham and she suggests that he conceive a child through Hagar, who was Sarah's Egyptian servant. Now, this, this sort of surrogacy seems bizarre, if not archaic to us today. Uh, we try to imagine it in our uh, culture. But it was an incredibly common practice in Abraham's day in the ancient world. And so, Sarah is really only suggesting to Abraham what was the common sense cultural practice of their day. There is, there's no cultural impropriety that is going on here. But in so doing, one commentator said this, Abraham and Sarah believe that they are hurtling an obstacle when in reality they are only creating a new one. You see, the problem was in their situation that, that the common sense path was not the path of faith that God had called them to. In fact, often the common sense approach, at least in Abraham's story, was completely contrary to the path of faith that God had called Abraham to. You see, nobody culturally would have blamed them for this. Nobody culturally would have even thought twice about it. But God's plan for them was very different. And friends, this is often true uh, for us as well, because often the path of faith that God calls us to looks very dissonant from the culture that is around us. In fact, it's important for us to often ask ourselves that, that if our faith does look common sense and very reasonable to the world around us, that may say something to us about the very character and nature of our faith. 
So Sarah has a strategy, and her strategy then leads to Abraham, and ultimately Abraham's failures in this story. And they're all summed up in the second path of verse 2. It says this, And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. This is not uh, just a, a kind of a throwaway statement that the scriptures say here, but it tells us that Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah, and by listening to the voice of Sarah, he was consequently not listening to the voice of God in his life. You see, God had promised that Abraham's son would come from Sarah, not by Hagar or not by any other means that they were able to determine. You see, what has happened is the voice of Abraham's circumstances, the the voice of all those around him had drowned out the voice of God in his life. His impatience, his lack of faith drowned out the voice of God in his life. Sarah's common sense approach had drowned out the voice of God in his life. You see, God had called Abraham to a life of faith, a life where the promises of God were more certain to him than any other path or scheme or strategy that he could think of. God's promises were supposed to be the bedrock of Abraham's life. But because the voice of God had been drowned out by time and circumstances, a greater and bigger mess ensued as a result. See, because once Hagar conceived, it created this tremendous rift between Hagar and Sarah. And, and Sarah is angry, and, and her anger is fueled by all sorts of fears that she is feeling in the moment. Imagine her, her frustration in this moment that, that her servant Hagar quickly conceives and gives Abraham exactly what his heart had wanted for so many years. Hagar was able to quickly give him a child. You see, in their culture, Sarah's feel, fear and anger were, were very understandable. Because culturally, to conceive a child meant that the hand of God's blessing was upon you. But conversely, if you were barren, it would mean that God could be angry with you or that you had done something to earn the curse or lack of blessing from God. And so because of that, a woman's identity in the ancient world was often very bound up in her ability to bear children. But now that Hagar had born a child to Abraham, Sarah was no longer needed. She could easily be divorced. She could easily be marginalized. Because after all, her husband hadn't really demonstrated a whole lot of faithfulness to her in the past. So why would he now moving forward? You see, her fear was that she would be left vulnerable by her husband and by her circumstances and by her barrenness. So in many ways, she felt very entitled to be bitter towards Hagar because she was fearful for herself and very clearly angry at Abraham for the entire thing. And she wasn't afraid to tell him. 
She wasn't afraid to tell Abraham about her anger over this unfortunate situation. Now, I've always found it really interesting that this was the first time we really hear about Sarah's anger. If you remember chapters ago, Abraham tried to pawn Sarah off as his sister when he went to a foreign land, and she didn't really get angry about that. But all of a sudden, we, we hear about Sarah's anger towards Abraham. Now, why is that? Well, it's because this situation hits her at the place of her greatest pain and the place of her greatest sadness. And so, because of all this, the mess gets even bigger. The passage tells us that Hagar, she runs away. She flees back to Egypt, the place that she came from. And because of that, not only is Abraham left without the son of promise, but his other son has now fled from him all the way back to Egypt. Because of that, Abraham and Sarah are left with an even greater emptiness than they had experienced before this situation emerged. And all of it was a result of their lack of faith, their impatience, and their attempts to manipulate and control the plan of God for their lives. But the good news is, is that our God is in the business of taking our mess often which we are responsible for creating, for taking our mess and turning something beautiful, turning it into something beautiful. So we've seen Sarah's strategy, Abraham's failure, and finally now we see Hagar's encounter. And you see it in verses 7 and through 16. You see, Abraham's and Sarah's failure led to Hagar's marginalization and her oppression. And so she does what she, the only thing that she could think to do, she ran away. And some think that, that Hagar had traveled for upwards of a, a week to 70 miles away from Abraham just to get away from this situation. She was pregnant, no doubt she was tired, she was exhausted, and she was burdened. And then we come to verse 7 where it says this, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? Hagar explains the situation to God and then God instructs Hagar to return home, to return to the place in which she had fled. But Hagar does not return empty-handed. Instead, she returns with her own promises from God. Her son also will be the start of a great nation. Now, Hagar would not have been thought of well culturally. She was a woman. She was a a pregnant runaway slave. She was a foreigner. She had been victimized by her owners. And yet God uniquely meets her in the midst of her most vulnerable moment. And he comes to her making all sorts of promises. And her response here is remarkable. Verse 13. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly, I have seen him who looks after me. See, what Hagar's story reminds us is that God is able 
to bring great beauty out of incredibly messy situations. But it also reminds us that God uniquely hears the cry of the oppressed and the vulnerable. You see, friends, our controlling hearts want to remove the necessity of faith in all sorts of areas in our lives. We want the ability to control things. We want to to be our own God rather than have to rely upon God. We'd rather take matters into our own hands than wait for God's action. We'd rather manipulate and control our circumstances But friends, this is sin at the end of the day. And ultimately, this was the sin that was behind the very first sin that we read about in the Garden of Eden. And it is behind every subsequent sin that came after it. But it is also the sin that Christ came to erase and to forgive. And in doing so, in order for that sin to be forgiven, in order for that sin to be erased, God himself would need to relinquish his own measure of control in that the gospel tells us that Christ, towards the end of his life, would allow his body to be beaten, to be killed, and eventually executed like a common criminal. He did it so that our controlling sinful hearts could at the end of the day experience freedom from the control of sin and death. He did it so that you and I could experience true freedom and true life lived in relationship with him. But for his sacrifice to take effect in our lives, for the work of the gospel to transform our hearts, you need faith. You need to transfer your trust from yourself to Christ and his work on your behalf. To stop trying to be God and instead, by faith, to receive his free gift of grace. You see, faith recognizes that he is God and we are not. Faith is abandoning our attempts to manipulate and control, to try to be our own gods, Faith trusts in the goodness and the promises and the plans of God. I don't know if you ever heard the story of of Corey Ten Boom, but she was a a Dutch Christian in World War II. And uh, she is most known for uh, housing uh, refugee Jews in order to to protect them uh, from the Nazis in her uh, neighborhood and in her city. And she was uh, later found out she was uh, arrested and sent to a concentration camp where uh, the story goes she immediately started leading worship services for those uh, who were housed with her in this concentration camp. And uh, the story goes that she was imprisoned for for almost a year in this Nazi uh, concentration camp, no doubt wondering what God was up to the entire time, struggling with her own measure of impatience, wondering when God was going to show up and rescue her from her circumstances. And then eventually, uh, in December of 1944, uh, just days uh, before all the women in her concentration camp were sent to the gas chamber. She was miraculously freed 
from the concentration camp. And as she write about, writes about her experience and her impatience and her need to trust in God, she summed it up with these words. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Let's pray.